Welcome to Finance Feeds Podcasts. Finance Feeds is the world's premier interactive Forex industry news source, providing the latest insights and current affairs from within the online trading industry worldwide. Enjoy our latest podcast episode. Hi, everyone. My name is Nikolai Isayev. I'm editor-in-chief of Finance Feeds. On this episode of our podcast, we have Tony Petrov, who's chief legal officer at SumSub. Uh, Tony, welcome to our show. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for the Thanks. invitation. Uh, t- <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, Tony, you and I—we've uh, never formally—we've uh, never formally met. Um, I'm not yeah. sure if my audience is familiar with you as well. Could you yeah. uh, spend a few moments to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your responsibilities at uh, SumSub uh, in your role of Chief Legal Officer? Yeah, well, uh, it, it actually uh, kind of like can be divided into parts. So the first part is like the boring stuff, which is usually done by by chief legal officers. So this means like internal procedures, corporate and stuff. It doesn't. It's not. I think it's not very interesting for the audience. And the second part, since <laughs> we have, we are, we are, a, we are a red tech company. This means that what we are doing, we we are basically offering products that are addressed to compliance teams and lawyers eventually of our clients, and uh, they they evaluate our, our products and uh, they give our uh, their feedback and final opinion about our product. Um, so that's why we we need like the attention of lawyers uh, onto our products and so um, we actually do a lot of research and development uh, on the legal side of the the products and that's why um, my second role is to to supervise this this work and to 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 be sure that we at every moment we are aware about the um, actual requirements in various parts of the world Um, and um, and also the third part is marketing because uh, we sell what we sell a part of what we sell basically apart from technology we also sell expertise and so so my role is also to represent our company on various forums and and conferences and uh, marketing materials uh, talking about regulations and compliance and uh, new trends etc etc so that's what i'm doing also mm-hmm. great awesome uh and uh in regards to what you just mentioned you know um kind of selling expertise and and uh, providing expertise um i saw that you recently attended the ifx expo in dubai yeah. uh last uh, last month i think and you were a speaker there yeah. um i wanted to i wanted to ask if you could tell us about the topic of the panel that you were on and sort of your takeaways or impressions of of that panel and the conference in general yeah we had a fireside chat uh, or also also known as campfire uh, chat <laughs> i really like this 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 format uh, it's really funny mm-hmm. when people are just uh, going around and uh, like and you're sitting in front of the audience um, trying to to be as loud as you po- as, as it is possible because of the, the people around etc but it's, it's really fun um uh, so our topic was uh, regulation across borders um so it was about basically it was about how various fintechs are regulated in different places and obviously since most of fintechs fx cryptos they work all around the globe they are global companies global businesses the question is how to organize how to arrange their um the um the infrastructure of those companies so that it would be efficient and at the same time uh, absolutely legit so this is mm-hmm. this is a, and, and also and also cost effective this is also very important and so we had a sure. very good panel we had uh Abdukia Pizzolito from Salvos uh, from Cyprus and then we had uh, Dimitris Texitaris also from Cyprus and then we had Dr. Zvi Gabe from Israel and uh, Zvi, Zvi is a fantastic guy I really recommend you to to um, maybe to follow him uh, in LinkedIn. He's a fantastic guy. He has a vision of uh, regulatory compliance all around the globe. And uh, he, and I mean, I mean, we, we discussed, I mean, I mean, both of other speakers, of course, were also very, very insightful because Cyprus is also the place where most of the, of the global businesses are um, not only located, but also sometimes having headquarters. And so that's extremely important for them to be, to be able to, 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 to talk about these things. And so um, we, we talked about this and we talked about the, the current trends. We talked about MENA region. Uh, MENA is like Middle East and North Africa. Basically, this means sure, yeah. Dubai. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's the main, the main, the main point. Um, uh, and we discussed, yeah, we discussed these things. Uh, I would say that the conference was very, um, very good. I mean, uh, I've been to several IFX conferences. Okay, this one it was a bit smaller than the previous ones. I don't know why, but uh, I mean, in any case, the quality of the event was still very high, and uh, uh, and I saw other. Um, discussions they had uh, many discussions about the current topics of course uh, ifx um ifx is like the place where you can talk about fx compliance or fx technologies you can talk about crypto etc etc so different things um mm-hmm. such as yes SaaS solutions or or uh, development from the scratch tokenomics versus versus metaverse <laughs> all these things so yeah it was it was very interesting place uh, to be, and I, I really advise people to to go to such events, even if you don't really uh, um, uh, into you're not really into like discussions on on panel on panels. You can just go around and talk to people, and uh, obviously find some new partnerships or whatever you have. Uh, and I, I mean, the the parties are also very good there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I mean, we we attend these these events ourselves as well, and and that's sort of why I wanted to get your impression of um, mm-hmm. how, how how it went for you. We were unable, unfortunately, to attend this particular one, but you know, we attend mm-hmm. most of the IFX and Finance Magnets events. Um, I, I would I, add, I would add, I would, yeah, yeah. I would add, I would add also, yeah, I would add also that Dubai is of, of course is a, is a special place because I mean, as a compliance officer to a certain extent, I'm I'm mesmerized by the fact that they Dubai is is on the gray list of FATF, so it's like kind of like the the, the <laughs> place where where the where the uh, compliance procedures are not as good as they could be. But at the same time, mm-hmm. this does not affect this does not affect the commercial opportunities of Dubai at all. So you go to this place; it looks like New York of the Middle East, and like there's so many people around. Uh, everyone mm-hmm. is doing some kind of a business. Everyone is doing some kind of a fintech or something. So it's just a crazy place. I really recommend it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's a, it, it seems like it's a trend that's been picking up over mm-hmm. the last few years, and considering everything that's happening, also geopolitically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and, and in terms of the, um, the growth of, of our associated sort of industries, right? FX, crypto, um, your, your niche in terms of, you know, rec tech yeah. compliance, SaaS and things like that. Uh, it, it looks like a region that is, uh, booming. Um, yeah. and I think, I don't know, Tony, if you'll agree with me, but I think that, you know, f- for, for every new region that becomes a financial hub, it might not have, um, the regulatory mechanisms in place now that would make it, you know, that would let it qualify to to be on a on a on a green list or a white list or whatever uh, may have it from other countries. Uh, but eventually, yeah. perhaps that that will take place as more and more business thrives in uh, thrives in Dubai. I mean, that's just my impression. No, and, and and also I would add here that um, as opposed to many countries that are, let's say, in the European Union, um, Dubai is like a, an outlier to a certain extent, and they are the 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 uh, emirs, the people that are ruling the country. They are very courageous in terms of um, in terms of uh, new technologies and innovation and new approaches towards regulations, and so they hire like the best uh, the best like. Uh, the professionals all, all around the globe, especially from England, from the UK, and to, to regulate, and they they give them like green light for whatever, and so you can mm-hmm. see like um, the most innovative innovative approaches towards uh, regulation in uh, in fintech sector uh, in Dubai. So mm-hmm. where where for example, let's say in in Cyprus or elsewhere in Europe. Uh, the regulators are a bit shy because they they they, they have supervising regulatory um, authorities on the EU level, so they don't want to provide some kind of give some kind of a too much of initiative. Uh, but Dubai mm-hmm. is not like that, and so they are very very much mm-hmm. on the on the <clears throat> on the top level of innovation. This is very mm-hmm. very important, very precious. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Let's see what happens, right? I mean, um, yeah, yeah, it's, sure, it's a wait sure. And see. It's a wait and see. Yeah. Um, Tony, I wanted to ask you about the compliance and KYC solutions that you guys offer mm-hmm. at SumSub, but the way I wanted to ask this question is, 
Um, I am someone who comes from a retail Forex background, spent many years working at a, at a US-based uh, retail Forex shop. And so I'm, I'm quite familiar with a lot of the KYC processes in terms of the technology um, and things like that, but, but, but more so in a previous era, maybe if we want to call it that. So, you know, say 10 years ago, for example, uh, or maybe eight years ago. The way I remember it is, you know, customers from 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 different countries, forget about the United States, but if we're talking yeah. internationally, globally, uh, clients were required to provide, you know, a, a form of ID and an address verification. A lot of the time yeah. that information was requested in the form of copies of official documents. And then those documents yeah. were uh, either automatically uh, cross-checked mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, databases that were available, yeah. um, you know, paid, you know, uh, paid databases that could be accessed, or um, for, for specific regions and for specific countries, those documents would have to be checked in a manual fashion. So I remember right. that, you know, for certain regions, the, uh, the operational time that it would take to get an account approved or disapproved would be quite high. So we're talking even days at some point, mm -hmm. uh, in some cases. Um, mm -hmm. I, perhaps you can sort of fill myself and the audience in on how are things being done today, because I don't have that sort of, um, you know, eye into, uh, you know, the, the back end broker mm -hmm. operations these days. How are these things conducted and sort of um, how do your solutions uh, help brokers, you know, uh, advance their operations in this particular in this particular field yeah that's a very good question i mean we we of course we, we we've made a, a, a big um a big journey uh for this let's say five years uh where all, all this time when we are in, in the business uh, of course uh, the the market is changing all the time the technologies are changing um we saw for example quite recently well not quite actually it's quite an old thing already but like old um this means like two years maybe three years <laughs> in this in these dimensions so like the liveness detection mm -hmm. for example in, instead of selfie right so uh like Five years ago, you could you could uh, you could uh, upload selfie with the document. Now it's liveness detection, which automatically scans your face and then checks it with the the photo on the on your document. I would say that generally the KYC KYC solutions are um, are very much opportunistic if they work on global markets. Of course, if for example you have a regional approach, let's say you work only for Germany or you work only for Scandinavia, then you can use other approaches. For example, in in Scandinavia. They have bank ID. This means that all people are just covered by uh, banks. And so instead mm -hmm. of instead of uh, uploading passports, you just need to upload some kind of a number um, and maybe some SMS will come uh, and check that the, your phone is with you, et cetera, et cetera. And that will be enough uh, for, ver for ver verification purposes. In, in, Germany, they have, in Germany, they have video identification, which is required by the law. And so that's, that's the only way how you can do it. This means that it's like a Skype call with an agent. Generally, I would say it's still, it's, you still need a passport or a driving license or ID card to, to upload. You can actually use some databases. There are some databases, for example, here in Brazil. I live in Brazil right now. Uh, they have is a mm -hmm. like a pan-Brazilian system of CPF numbers. It's like a, a tax number, and so basically, if you if you have this uh, access to this ta tax number, you can actually get all the information about the person from the from the database, including the the face image. So, mm -hmm. uh, so you don't you don't need much of the much of the documents uh, for Brazil, for example. And there are some regions like mm -hmm. that all around the globe. For example, in India, they have Aadhaar number. Those I think it was like the first example of the biometric. Uh, pan pan uh, national let's say biometric uh, um, system um, but generally if you work globally uh, you still need you still need to upload you still need to require ID ID cards and passports in mm -hmm. some jurisdictions mm -hmm. in fact you are you are um, left only with passports for example in Cyprus in Cyprus uh, if you read uh, the the laws like in as, as they they are uh, they require, mm -hmm. They require you to uh, onboard any foreign customers only with passports, which is like outrageous because <laughs> not that many people actually have travel documents. Um, they just use ID um, cards usually. Yeah. 
That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, yeah because uh, uh, in a lot of countries, a passport is only issued if you need to travel abroad, and if you don't, exactly, you don't need yeah, one and you don't have one, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but but uh, in terms of trends, I would say that uh, we will we will see uh, three things. First of all, we will see um, we will see self sovereign identities. Um, they are not legal right now. This means that you cannot really use self sovereign identities uh, for for financial companies, for example, this means that instead of mm-hmm. showing your your documents, you just sell, you just um, you just send some kind of credentials saying that uh, in the blockchain this passport was verified. So uh, it does not mm-hmm. provide you with information about the client; it just provides you the credential that it was verified. But for example, for alcohol shops or for for casinos or something like that, where you just need to verify the age of the person, for example, on the first mm-hmm. level, it can it can work. Um, uh, the other aspect is, of course, um, EID cards and the EID documents, uh, uh, EIDAS certificate, EIDAS regulation that is right now in force in, in, in the EU. So the idea is kind of like to combine all, all the EU countries into one and the same approach. And so that it would be like some kind of an identity wallet that would work uh, all around the EU. And so that you could use this wallet um, in the same way as self, self, self sovereign uh, solution, but like it will be governed by the EU, um, EU authority, some kind of, um, mm-hmm. so this, this will be another thing, but still, you know, um, if, if we return to numbers, to figures, um, um, it, 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 the, the, the recent, the recent figures from the world bank, I just, just, uh, discovered, uh, says that, uh, still there's a 1 billion people currently in the world that have no legal identity at all. So they don't have any documents. <laughs> One billion, wow. and then at the same time, three billion people uh, right now hold uh, new EID cards. So the like the the next generation ID ID mm-hmm. uh, ID um, uh, things. So this means this mm-hmm. shows this shows this these opposite directions, and in the in the, in the face of these opposite directions, I guess we will still have this uh, traditional traditional approach of uh, uploading. Uh, standard documents like uh, passports, ID cards, and maybe cross checks against databases where it's it's possible. Maybe with some mm-hmm. with some with some places where you could also use use um, uh, bank ID solutions or something or open banking solutions um, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so um, what I'm saying what I'm saying it's a very much opportunistic field where you just use those things that are available on each specific market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, uh, it seems like, um, from what you've said, it seems like even Western countries, like you mentioned, Europe, Scandinavia, yeah. um, have, have have progressed much like India, as you also mentioned, in the sense that yeah. there are these there are these unique identifiers for citizens today, where these unique identifiers can be stored in the database, and it could actually um, really improve, uh, let's say, processing times because. You know, yeah. for example, in, Uni- in the United States, we have social security numbers. And I know that 10 years ago, if you wanted to open up a brokerage account uh, for Forex or or for, um, you know, traditional stock trading, f- for that matter, and you had a yeah. social security number, it was much quicker for you to get your account approved. Because, again, social security number uh, provides, you know, there's uh, information associated with that social security number that could help electronically verify your identity, your address, and all of these different things. Um, so it yeah. seems like Western Europe is moving along, and and India, like there's there's certain regional powers or or big big regional countries that are also taking uh, taking the steps. So in other words, in the grand scheme of things, on a global level, things are improving in terms of the processing times and sort of the ease of use of all of these systems. So it's not as rudimentary and manual as it was. Um, if I may, if I may, if I, some of these, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. yeah, if I if, if if I may here to just add, adding again this opportunistic thing. So uh, in Europe, this works only in Scandinavia. Why? Because they have global coverage of like several, let's say, okay, ten large Scandinavian banks. They work with mo- almost all the population of uh, of Scandinavia: Sweden, North mm-hmm. Norway, Denmark, uh, fin, fin, uh, fin, Finland. Right. So these countries mm-hmm. they're just covered by let's say ten banks. 
And so obviously it's very easy to just organize these banks and say, let's just uh, exchange uh, client data, of course, with, with consent of the, of the client and make everything mm -hmm. easier. So this works only for Scandinavia. Uh, in India, this worked because they had a, 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 ma a major problem of illiteracy. <laughs> the people could not just sign <laughs> okay. their papers. And so the only thing yeah. that they could use was only biometry. So that's why they, 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 they came up with biometry. And that's why you have this biomet biometric uh, system all I around see, the, uh, uh -huh. India. So, so uh, in, okay, in the US, this uh, social security, security number exists like for a century already. So obviously, that's, what, that's why they based uh, the whole identity, based, uh, they based the whole identity on, on, on social security number. So this, this, this shows this opportunistic approach elsewhere. So you, ba you base your identity system on the things that you have really uh, in front of you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to actually, Tony, I wanted to get your impression of something. Uh, mm -hmm. One of my previous guests on the podcast um, uh, was on a few weeks ago. He mentioned an interesting thing r related to Web3 um, yeah. and the blockchain. Um, uh, he mentioned, and I, I'm not sure, again, uh, if this is an idea or if this is something uh, completely practical and something that could be used today. But what he explained is the future of sort of KYC um, uh, on the blockchain is basically, and, and Web3, is basically yeah. you, as, you as a customer um, uh, interacting with a company that needs to review your KYC information, at some point, you'll be able to basically get your KYC verified, um, you know, at a company who, who requires your KYC to, to provide yeah. you services or sell you, sell you goods. And because, yeah. because that, that information is checked and because, uh, you know, everything, uh, hypothetically speaking, uh, will be done on the blockchain and in the Web3 sort of yeah. ecosystem environment, whatever we want to call it, my yeah. guest argued that... My guest argued that in the future, you can essentially go through a KYC check once. That KYC check will will be will live on the blockchain as an entry on the blockchain. And so, when the mm -hmm. customer uh, when the customer then goes and wants to purchase services or products from another vendor mm -hmm. who also requires KYC, there does not need to be an additional. You know what I mean? There doesn't need to be an, a new request for 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 kyc checks because again the new vendor can simply look yeah. this person up on the blockchain and say oh yeah. the kyc check for this person was done oh i don't know let's say it was done in the last six months or three months and hence you know that's acceptable to us so hey customer your account's approved you know that process could be very 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 quick because um, your K, your sort of you know your KYC green check mark is living somewhere on the blockchain and is saying that you know for all intents and purposes you're good to go. Um, how do you right. feel about that? Have you heard, have you heard about something like this or this a concept is, like this? This is this is what I just mentioned in the previous uh, let's say previous um, like. I think you did. Before. I think you touched upon it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it's like it's uh, it's a self-sovereign solution exactly. So uh, it, it's, there are different names for these things, but the whole idea mm -hmm. is that instead of instead of instead of uploading a passport or an ID card to, to someone uh, with the risk of uh, any leakages, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you just have your ID documents on your uh, basically phone, and then you verify this uh, ID documents against, let's say, some kind of a verifying company, uh, and the result is uh, recorded in the blockchain, and then you just um, mm -hmm. You just share you just share the the credentials of this check uh, against um, against uh, for to to those to those companies that you want to want to work with and you check and you choose also what kind of credentials you really want to to uh, to share for example the name mm -hmm. um, or or the date of birth for example for age verification purposes or let's say the address so all these things so uh, this is exactly what is called self-sovereign system. But the problem with it is that um, in accordance with the current KYC regulations, you, you as an obliged entity, you have to know everything about your client. And uh, the idea of self-sovereign identity is to share only the minimum of information. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. there is, there is a, 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 a big, uh, I would say, um, um, uh, kind of like a principle uh, conflict between those uh, these, those approaches, and so uh, until the the approaches are harmonized, I guess 
we will not see much of the self-sovereign solutions except for only decentralized uh, applications because decentralized applications currently they have no choice except for using um, self-sovereign identity systems we actually in sure. some sub are also are also developing our own uh, let's say uh, self-sovereign identity wallet mm -hmm. I see. currently cool yeah mm, nice um, the next question, the, the next question is a bit broad. And then the follow-up question yeah. to that is going to be a little bit more specific. Um, mm -hmm. I know that you, I, I, I know that you follow regulatory news quite closely. For example, I've seen your yeah. videos that you do. Um, you had a video related to the Bittrex case recently and things yeah. like that. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to get your impression on what, uh, what you think are the main themes and drivers for regulation across different markets, FX, derivatives, crypto, uh, what are the main drivers for these markets in terms of regulation this year? Um, mm -hmm. And perhaps there's some specific regions that um, may be a challenge to to brokerages, to crypto firms, you know, in, in terms of your expertise and kind of what you know in terms of what's coming down the pipe in in a sense from from a regulatory perspective. Right. Um, so effects, derivatives, and crypto they are regulated on mainly three levels. The one is uh, AML and sanctions compliance, and this is exactly the, the point related to Bittrex's case. It was based on uh, violations in AML and sanctions compliance. And then you have consumer uh, or slash um, investor protection, um, and you can have the examples of this in Europe, uh, Mifid, and in the US, Securities Act. And, um, and the third is corporate regulations, rights of shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, in general, I would say that FX is already an established uh, an established uh, area of business, and uh, not much things uh, are actually happening there. Um, so you don't see a lot of uh, changes in terms of regulation in FX. Um, most of the regulations have been already done um, uh, quite a lot time, quite a, a long time ago. In terms of crypto, of course, everything is different. So you you see right now a lot of uh, issues. Of course, with FTX crash. Uh, we saw a lot of loopholes um, in in the regulation of crypto, and um, some of this, the experts we actually made a webinar on, on FTX um, crash and uh, and it's it's uh, it's like the, the reasons why it's crashed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, one of the um, one of the uh, things that were discussed was of course the place where uh, FTX decided to be regulated, which is the Bahamas. Um, and mm -hmm. obviously Bahamas did not. So the whole tragedy was that the Bahamas, Bahamas were ready not to actually like supervise uh, FTX really. And at the same time, and, and FTX kind of like relied on that. And so they just did, did decided not to do anything really uh, serious mm -hmm. in order to be, to be a legit company. And they had a separate business in the US and they thought that if they have a separate business in the US and they have uh, some kind of a uh, born lawyer working for the US company uh, and the US company is good, um, then they're on the safe side. They don't need to do anything else. And obviously what you see with the FTX is that um, when something happened, when you see like what is called a run on a bank, um, uh, everything crashed completely, like the whole company. And uh, and the kind of the, the US part, which was uh, which looked as as an as a, a absolutely solvent company crashed as well. So, so this actually shows that um, like um, you know the the uh, compliance procedures they are on many levels, but you cannot just pick the cherries from the bowl. You have to do all uh -huh. compliance procedures. If you if you don't have uh, the board, after all, if you just have, let's say, a compliance officer who is pretending to do some kind of a job, but you don't have a board on the other side, you don't have board meetings, you are not compliant. You, you're you going to have problems in the future. This is exactly what happened with FTX. You cannot just, you ju you cannot just pick some elements of, of compliance and, uh, and leave others. So you, if you're working in the regulated, you, if you're working in the regulated business, you should be, you should fit this kind of um, a business. So you, you cannot be like Sam. Uh, like you cannot work in the regulated business and be like Sam. You, 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 you can't be Sam. Or you can work for regulated business. <laughs> that's the whole <laughs> see, idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah. the whole idea. Yeah. 
Um, well, uh, it, actually, I, I wanted to ask you, like, my impression is, you know, I, I think uh, short, medium term, what we're going mm -hmm. to see, and this is this was going to be my follow up question mm -hmm. to you mm -hmm. is what do you what do you think medi medium, short, medium term implications are for regulations in the United States? Because the U.S. is, is the marketplace that has not had any sound regulation on the books yet with regards to. Mm -hmm. Uh, is it a, you know how do we treat how do we how are we going to treat crypto as a commodity how are we going to treat crypto as a I, security I, I, right because yeah. there's there's there's, there's mm -hmm. use cases for both we need we need regulation that recognizes it as as both types of assets right today and um, it yeah. seems to me it seems to me that that might be a little bit more far off right so that's not something that's going to be uh, uh, decided and finalized in the next year but what i but my impression is that in the united states considering all of these cases that have happened um mm -hmm. the next step is the next step is that uh crypto firms crypto exchanges will be uh, um uh, will be forced by regulators to implement a lot of the same uh aml kyc policies uh, and mm -hmm. other operational sort of policies and checks that today exist for traditional brokerages um and banks mm -hmm. in the United States. So, so your AML KYC, which has been lacking in a lot of places for a lot of companies, um, will be the first to be um, tightened or enforced. You know what I mean? Um, you're kind of paid more attention to. Is that also your impression, or do you have? You know, what are your? I would about? my impre my impression, especially based based on Bitrex case and then uh, uh, Payoneer, and I think there was also Kraken Kraken case quite recently. Uh, and yes. other mm -hmm. um, yeah, Coinbase. Uh, these are all uh, showing um, that the regulations are already in place in the United States. They are actually right now what they're doing. They're retroactively applying those regulations to previous previous years. Like the whole idea of Bitrix case was, for example, that they they had problems in the past. It's not that they have problems right now. They had problems, let's say, sometime between 2015 and 2017 or something like that. At mm -hmm. the time Correct. when nobody, yeah, for, no, no, yeah, nobody was was actually, uh, uh, you know, bo uh, uh, nobody was actually bothered by the idea of being uh, compliant or something like that. So um, uh, yeah. this means, yeah. So this means that right now uh, in the U.S. there are plenty of regulations already, and uh, crypto exchanges, for example, they are expected to have everything in place. They have to have all the controls. They have to have uh, policies. They have to have procedures. They have to have special people uh, appointed for that. They have to have board meetings about AML compliance and taking decisions about uh, about how to do with to deal with specific risks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they have to have all this in place already. Uh, and so, and so that that's that's why that's why FTX crash again was so shocking because they just saw that nothing was there and that the whole uh, FTX US was just a shell company that behind which <laughs> you had a Bahamian a Bahamian let's say a group of people who are uh, you know controlling the global business from the penthouse uh, in in the Bahamas, so. That was the whole idea. So, um, so what I'm what I'm saying is that the U.S. Uh, regulations are already in place. They will be, of course, uh, more strict in the future. We saw the address, I guess, of the SEC, CFTC, and what else, uh, OFAC, saying that uh, just buckle up. We we're gonna come with uh, more and more regulations on the crypto business, and you should be serious about this uh, from now on. And the second part, of course, will be that they will have a long arm on all crypto exchanges. What they're saying is that from now on, we're gonna have a long arm on you. And so even if you are uh, regulated elsewhere in the Bahamas or in Singapore or elsewhere, we're gonna have a long arm on you. And if you are not <laughs> behaving good, we will, we will just bring you to court in the U.S. and we will judge you in accordance with the U.S. regulations. That's, that's the bottom line, I guess, uh, of what we're gonna have uh, uh, with crypto in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, especially if these if these companies have U.S. clients that are onboarded, right? If they have U.S. clients on the book, then of course the long arm is there. It's definitely going to be there, either way. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, you know, the U.S. U.S. is a global economy, and uh, even if you have, let's say, two clients uh, that are U.S. citizens, or in any case, you somehow affect the U.S. markets. 
you are you are in danger already. I mean, in any case, radar. I mean, yeah, you're on the radar. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so basically, uh, the the bottom line is that there will be no uh, dis distinction really between Coinbase, which is regulated in the U.S., and let's say some kind of um, uh, we will not know we will not name any big crypto exchanges outside the U.S., but they are they will be also under the regulation uh, of the U.S. effectively. Right. Slip. Uh, next question. Yeah. <laughs> If you're if you're ready, if you're ready, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm absolutely ready. Uh, Tony, I wanted to also ask you. I don't know if you if you want to comment on this. The Gemini uh, Genesis sort of uh, argument about the earned customers. Um, I don't know if you know about this uh, about this this case in the United States. I haven't. Um, yeah, I haven't read. I haven't read Gemini any, uh, at, the, at the moment, but uh, I can comment in general. Uh, yeah, Tony. We've discussed the 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 FTX case. Um, yeah. There was also the the collapse of Celsius last year. Um, yeah, and then in, and then in some recent news, also there is the case um, or the argument between uh, Genesis Global, I believe it's called, and Gemini. Gemini is the U.S. based uh, cryptocurrency exchange mm -hmm. that had a uh, that had a product where customers could. I believe deposit crypto and then earn you know earn earn interest on that crypto which is now turned into uh, a legal feud and also now regulators are uh involved i believe the sec is uh, has filed some sort of um, mm -hmm. some so, some sort of actions or, or or at least is investigating both firms um perhaps you can more broadly comment on um, some, you know, all of these, all of these situations, how they've transpired and, and kind of what we should look for in terms of the future, in terms of any other possible contagion and, and how this could possibly, uh, positively and negatively impact the, the sort of the crypto, the crypto, uh, industry going forward. You know, a lot of people say it's crypto winter. Other people say, no, it's actually a great time to, um, consolidate, learn from mistakes, and learn from what's going on, and, and improve, and come out of this, uh, you know, on the winning side. Uh huh. Yeah, I just I just read read a, a bit a bit about about that. Yeah, yeah. It was so it was it was like uh, um, basically um, a claim of uh, of fantasy against uh, against Genesis and Gem and Genesis and Gemini Gemini, right? So like uh, mm -hmm. a combined a combined <laughs> procedure. Yeah, because as far as I understand, they were offering some of the securities to to retail investors without uh, going through the necessary procedures. Well, this is uh, this is not as as shocking as the uh, as the recent uh, documents that have been revealed in terms of uh, in in respect of the uh, Celsius um, uh, crash, because uh, uh, people are saying that uh, like there are. Like several counts of criminal offenses. Uh, really? Clearly, clearly looking at you when you're reading the the, the current the recent documents about Celsius. I so see. I mean, yeah, I mean, these all these all are about one and the same thing that uh, that crypto exchanges, as I said, they 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 will be put on the leash. On the side of uh, of the U.S. regulators, and so any 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 things like you or you are offering some kind of securities to the general public without the procedures, uh, saying that this is not a security uh, formally or whatever it is, uh, this will not work anymore. So the SEC just showing that uh, like the all the games are over. Mm -hmm. We will not let you. We will not. Yeah, we will not let you let you use the uh, the uh, the let's say the gray zones of the regulations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And maybe okay, maybe the regulations are not uh, like absolutely clear, and maybe some some of the regulations could be made better. But this doesn't mean anything really because you are you are bastards. You are you are crooks. You're trying to to fool out to fool the system. You're trying to fool the people, and so we will, we will just we will put you on the leash, and we will we will we will regulate you as if you are the worst of the worst <laughs> on the, in the financial <laughs> industry. That's the whole idea, and uh, and of course um, these these examples of Bitrex um, Bitrex uh, settlement and other Coinbase settlement, they're just showing that uh, again, yeah, the game the game is over. Uh, mm -hmm. 
and the only thing that you, you can do is just to to show all of your skeletons from the uh, from your drawer, uh, pay for them, and then and then uh, start all over like as a, as a clean business. So, mm-hmm. I guess that's that's the future. And and again, it doesn't really matter whether or not you are in the uh, the U.S. company, really. So right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, Tony, I wanted to, you know, before we wrap up, I wanted to take a step back and speak about you as a person. You know, I took a look at your, um, I took a look at your uh, LinkedIn profile. I saw that you started studying law, law at university. And I just wanted to find out kind of what, what brought upon your passion for law and jurisprudence, because it seems like it's something that started from your, um, maybe younger days, like when you were younger, maybe before university, and obviously you've turned it now into a career. Uh, I started um, uh, at my early ages of the, at the university. I, I actually started uh, playing Jessup. Uh, Jessup is like an international law mood court competition. It was a fantastic mm-hmm. time uh, when you can you could go go around the world and um, and uh, as as a student uh, using the money of your sponsors, uh, law firms, mm-hmm. uh, and and spend time and um, and find your new internships, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And uh, besides that, also to participate in, in the moot court, a moot court competition in which you uh, like you were pleading. Against other uh, like student student teams uh, um, and uh, discussing various topics of international law uh, about let's say investment international investment protections or human rights or uh, uh, or the, the law of aggression or anything like that. So this is where I started, and then uh, I mean I uh, you know uh, at the LLM stage for example where I uh, I went to. Uh, University of the, of the Pacific McGeorge School of Law. I had fantastic teachers. I had, uh, for example, uh, Stephen McCaffrey. Uh, he is uh, one of the world's leading uh, professors on uh, international rivers. Uh, quite recently, he was actually acting as an agent in the International Court of Justice um, in the in the in a dispute between Chile and Bolivia about the uh, border river. Uh, hmm. Like they, they had some, they had some issues related to how to use this river, um, and then also on the other side, I had John Sims. Uh, he's he was like the constitutional expert um, and uh, a part of the team of Ralph Nader. I, I I think that some of the some of the audience will know who 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 <laughs> Ralph, Ralph Nader is. is. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so, so I had I had fantastic I had fantastic teachers and this John Sprankling, for example, he's like I guess the nation's uh, the, the, like the most the most important authority on 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 the law of property. So I had uh, good good examples uh, before me, and uh, yeah, I had I had a passion uh, uh, in law, uh, and I, I was practicing since I since I graduated in two thousand eleven. I, I practiced international law mostly and human rights. And then um, I just saw how fintech started started uh, all over all, all all over around the place, and I thought it's a good 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 time maybe to uh, to to know more about them. And I I got friends uh, in the industry and started working in some of the startups. Uh, and this startup what was about uh, identity verification for fintechs. That's how I started with uh, Samsung. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, that, that was going to be my next question: is what led you, you yeah. know, what led you to 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 come work for for some sub when you have? It sounds like you have a very broad experience, uh, at least from from your uh, uh, university days and and some of this, yeah. uh, you know, the moot court things and, and yeah. things like that. It seems like it seems like you can apply yourself in many many different. Um, fields within the legal profession, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and and, 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 and the, so, the point, yeah, the whole, yeah, the, whole, the whole point, the whole point uh, being in this industry of regtech is that um, there are no rules really. Like we are actually creating the new instruments how to how to um, make the ML rules uh, something real. Uh, and mm-hmm. so for that, you need you need you need you need not only uh, just formal, let's say, skills. You also need some kind of cre- creativity to a certain extent. And this is something that uh, I thought very, very interesting in the in the area. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy being at this place, in this place. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, well, last question for me. Um, you mentioned earlier in in the episode that you are actually now living in Brazil. I didn't know that. I thought you were based in Cyprus. So, um, yeah. if you could tell our audience a little bit, um, I think you've lived in California. Obviously, you went to school. Yeah. Um, I think you lived in Cyprus. You've lived in London. Now you're in Brazil. Can you give our audience a little bit of a quick impression on these different places in terms of personal life and work? Um, and why did you choose to move to Brazil? Yeah, you know, when I, when I lived in California, just to, 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 to make it clear, like I, at my university, we had a, a big dining room uh, in which uh, you could just, uh, you know, you, you could just uh, spend time and then you could see all around the place the people that were um, uh, like sitting in groups and they were not doing uh, any homeworks or anything like that. They were, they were discussing various startups. It was okay, uh -huh. 2010, 2011. 11. So it was at the time when, let's say, Facebook was just like uh, raising, and there were no uh, other things that we have uh, now in place, right? So, I don't know, like uh, Revolut or crypto exchanges. Crypto was not yeah, even yeah, right. uh, in the place yeah. at that time. Uh -huh. But yeah, so I, I was, and it, and it was California. So it was clear that the people were all around me. The, the, those people probably right now they are billionaires uh, doing some kind of businesses uh, around around uh, new fintechs, new technologies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not only in in finance but also in other areas related to new technologies. So so I, I saw this vibrant vibrant um, let's say soup around me uh, that was that was uh, creating new new projects, new ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And then London is a different place. London is like, uh, is a huge metropolitan city in which you kind of like lose yourself in some way. And you don't, you don't see that yourself, that you are like something, you know, serious, that you are, you are meaningful uh, because, you know, it's a huge, huge place. Um, it's just like New York, London, you know, mm -hmm. these kind of cities. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they kind of like eat you uh, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Cyprus... Cyprus, Cyprus is a is a is a is a good place. It's a very, very pleasant. It's very um, like home like place. You know, it's a place where it's like it's like you 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 came to the house of your granny, something like something like that. And it's like mm -hmm. it's just a very pleasant place where you can just feel very comfortable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now Brazil, right? Uh, Brazil is a huge country. Uh, just uh, I, I have lots of friends. Uh, also in the in the IF, IFX, I had lots of conversations about Brazil. Everyone is interested mm -hmm. in Brazil. Every, everyone is like talking about how to build a financial bridge between Brazil and Europe. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, Brazil is opening up very quickly. So uh, uh, the, the Foreign Exchange Act has been has been just passed quite recently, and uh, I think Innovation um, Artificial Intelligence Act. So they are opening up. They are ready to accept. Uh, like investments from 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 abroad, and uh, it's it's a huge opportunity right now. Uh, it's two hundred fifty million people um, living in a fantastic climate uh, on the on the on the, on the uh, like close to the ocean. So it's a fantastic place uh, where you can find find new opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I well I'm, then I'm I'm assuming that you moved to Brazil more so for your professional sort of yeah uh, and, and 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 work purposes in a sense um yeah yeah, yeah. we are expanding. A, pers a, per a personal decision uh, rather than a personal decision to, to yeah decide. yeah we are yeah we are expanding on on uh, on latin american market and uh, that's why i'm here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think I think that goes toe to toe with um, sort of what you said and your impressions from IFX. And uh, I know that this is something that's been discussed uh, yeah. by industry, industry sort of participants and players over the years, Latin America in general as a continent, right, or whatever yeah. half continent if we want to call it that yeah. is the next front is the next frontier at least in my mind for fx and cfd brokers um because it's a very untapped market in the sense that that market has not been fully uh, covered captured whatever you want to call it in terms of international brokerages setting up shop you know letting customers well, trade. obviously it's obviously it's a question of regulations as well because from my understanding there there's there's no specific law 
on the books in Brazil governing FX trading. And so today it's kind of a gray area or perhaps it's, I don't know if it's, if it's a gray area or if it's completely restricted, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, as I said, they just passed the law on forex foreign exchange, so that's exactly a fact. Yeah, but they, yeah, but they actually they actually liberalized to to a large to a large extent. But you don't you, you shouldn't think that this is kind of like a desert where nothing exists. Like uh, in Brazil, oh, yeah, there are huge. Yeah, yeah, in, in, in Brazil, there are like huge FX companies, uh, local FX companies. There are huge banks, um, like like new banks, like for example, a new bank. It's like a it's like a, a neo bank like 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 Revolut in in, in Europe for example mm-hmm. or in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there are lots of there are lots of lots of businesses like that already existing um, in in Argentina for example. I was very very uh, surprised because like the, the huge the, the mo- like the, the largest market marketplace in Latin America just like Amazon in in uh, in the US and, and Europe right. It's called Mercado Libre. Or Mercado Livre. Um, so uh, I thought that it's a Brazilian business, but actually it's Argent- Argentinian. So they have a headquarters in Argentina, um, mm-hmm. and so so it's not only Brazil; it's also Argentina, where you can have you can have a lot of uh, like like new new technologies business. Um, uh, very very interesting. So even though Argentina is is uh, is in crisis all the time, so uh, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't 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 prevent people to to innovate. So it's a, if it's a very inter- it's an interesting market in which you can invest, in, in where you can find new opportunities. But at the same time, there are many many competitors uh, of the of the global of global players as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, good. that's cool. Uh, th- thank you, Tony. That's very, very good to very good to know. Um, Tony, yeah. uh, we're out of time. We're out of time. I yeah. wanted to thank you for for joining us today, um, and giving us your insights and and some of yeah. your personal um, some personal impressions. Um, definitely very interesting discussion. Uh, we wish you the best of luck in in your expansion in Brazil, and uh, thank you. we hope you have a, a great time there, and hopefully. Um, sometime in the future, we can chat again and get some more of your insights as things develop in the crypto industry um, and it, just in general in terms of uh, reg tech and KYC and, and, and everything else. Sure. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. And I will be happy to participate in something like that in the future. Thanks, Tony. Have a great day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our latest Finance Feeds podcast episode. For sponsorship opportunities or to become a guest, please email us at info at